Well, good morning, church family. We are going to be continuing our study called We Are. Uh, We've been talking about who we are as a church. And the one thing that we've been asking is the question of what's keeping us from becoming the church that we want to be. Um, so we've just we've been in the series called We Are. We've been asking that question, what's keeping us from becoming those things? And there's really four pillars uh, that we've been kind of referring to. Um, we want to be a church that loves God. We want to be a church that loves the church. We want to be a church that loves our city. And we want to be a church that loves the world. These aren't our values per se, but they certainly are four pillars that we feel like will always be true of us as a church. But the question in this series is what's keeping us from becoming that. So last weekend, we talked about what's keeping us from becoming a people who love God. And this weekend, we're going to go into the second half of this series, what's keeping us from being a people who love the church. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 today. Now, we're not going to um, exhaust this text. If you're used to, like if you're normal here, regular here, you know that we typically will exegete the text of Scripture. Um, for this series, this is a vision series. We, uh, we're going to do a vision Sunday, the first Sunday um, in August. We kind of ch- uh, changed that, and we turned it into a vision series, kind of just giving you some nuts and bolts, some practical uh, ideas of who we're going to be as a church family. So we're kind of taking this from a different angle, but you're going to still be immersed and saturated in the Word of God um, as you were last week. Uh, No doubt at all, Jesus loves his church. I think if anybody has been around the church long enough, if you know your Bible well enough, you know that there is literally no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Jesus loves his church. Now, I don't always love the church, And you don't always love the church, but it's clear in Scripture that Jesus loves his church. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul offers some instructions for marriage. And in the process of offering instructions of marriage, on marriage, he actually gives us a model to emulate our marriage after. And he says, I want your marriage as a husband and wife to look like the love relationship between Christ and his church. This is what he says. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26 through 20, or 25 through 26, it says this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. So again, Paul uses the love Christ has for the church as a model for what marriage is supposed to look like. And if you read this text in its entirety, what you're going to see is that Paul is saying that a love relationship between a husband and wife should look like the love relationship between Christ and his church. Well, what does that love relationship between Christ and the church actually look like? Well, first, Christ loves his uh, church sacrificially. We see that in verses 23. But not only does Christ love the church sacrificially, he also loves his church in a sanctifying way, revealing, it's revealed in making the church holy and blameless, as 26 and 27 says. His love is seen um, in his care for the church. We see that in verse 29. In verses 31 through 32, his love is expressed in the unity of the church. So really sprinkled in this entire text, what we see is emphatically clear that Jesus loves his church. Now, I've been in some good churches. I've been in some bad churches. 
Chances are you've been in some good churches and you've been in some bad churches. But what I want to leave with today is this. I believe that the church could be and should be the most attractive thing on the planet. If we study scripture and look at what the church was intended to be, truly it becomes the greatest apologetic before a watching world. Men and women should come to faith merely by how the, the church people love one another. In fact, I believe you'll see this if you walk through the scriptures, you'll find that Jesus finds great delight in the local church. And what's so fascinating about this is no matter how messy the church may be, it still tells us that Christ never stops loving his bride. Now, I was a freshman in college when I made a vow to myself that I'd probably never step foot back into a local church. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been wounded by the church, you've experienced some hurt by the church, and maybe at some point in your life, maybe you're in here today and you're coming out of that season where you've just decided, I'm not going back to church. And I have hesitated if I was going to share this story with y'all, but I have been extremely transparent since being here, so I figured if I could get away with all of that, I could certainly get away with this, right? Um, but here's the deal. I really did. As a freshman in college, I, I made a vow that I wasn't going back to church. I was so fed up with the way that the church acted, the hypocrisy that I saw in the church, the church leadership and how they acted, that I was pretty much done with it. Um, I was coming out of high school, and I was in a youth group. I was growing in my faith. I was pretty consistent in my own personal devotion time. And I was actually visiting colleges and going on different trips trying to figure out where I wanted to go to school. And to make a really long story short, here I was as a freshman in college. I was hanging out with some buddies at a baseball game. And I got a call from one of my other friends. And this friend was saying, hey, I wanted to see if y'all could come pick me up. And we're like, well, what do we need to pick you up for? And he said, well, I'm at this really popular restaurant, all right, where women dress in provocative clothes and they sell hot wings, all right? And tonight's the swimsuit night. And I didn't know they were coming here, but I've kind of got stuck with this group of people, and I wanted to see if y'all would come and pick me up, all right? And by the way, guys, the wings are not that good. Um, so that's no justification. And if you're wondering how I know, it's because they sell the jar at Walmart. I've never, you know, um, put a hush to that real quick. Um, but, but long story short, um, here he was. He was stuck. We go, and we pull him out of this. Like, we didn't go into the restaurant. We actually met him in the parking lot. And we went to another restaurant and we ate. And while we were eating at that other restaurant, a man walks up to us and says, hey, I don't know why, but I feel like I need to pay for y'all's meal tonight. And as you can imagine, as teenage boys, 19 years old, we're thinking, man, God's rewarding us for not staying because we wanted to stay, but we ended up going, just being honest. Uh, so I, I joke. Uh, but, but here we were. I really do joke. Um, but here we were, and we thought this guy was rewarding us, Okay. Well, for the next several Sundays, Sunday nights, and Wednesday nights, our pastor talked about this from the pulpit. And he said things like, I'm going to find out who the guys were that went to this particular restaurant, and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and quite frankly, as a 19-year-old, I was like, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous that he's spending his time addressing this issue. Like, what do we have to hide? I have nothing to hide. So after hearing about this for three weeks, literally every single time I was at church behind the pulpit, I just decided during the invitation, I was going to go down and just say, hey, I was one of those guys that went, but I went in good faith and in good intention. I have no conviction of it. I went because I went to pick up a friend who didn't want to be there, and we went somewhere else and ate. Uh, so I shared that with my pastor, and my pastor said, you know, I, I knew that you were one, and I knew that you would come and, and share it with me. I was like, well, I'm glad that you thought that, but I still don't understand why we're having this conversation. Well, a couple weeks go by, my dad calls me, 
I can't lie about this because he's here. Um, if he weren't here, I'd lie about it, but just kidding. Um, but my dad calls me, and my dad said, hey, where were you last night? And I said to my dad, I was like, I was here at Georgia College. I'm checking out the school. And I was literally walking into the gym when he called, and he said, Trey, are you sure? Uh, so even he didn't have enough faith in me. But he's like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, that's exactly where I was. I was here last night. He said, well, I got a call from the church that someone changed the church sign to have some hot wings with your quiet time. I just wanted to make sure it wasn't you. I was like, Dad, do you think I would do something like that? And he said, yeah, huh, but just kidding. Um, but that's what happened. And I did just what you did. I laughed at that. I thought it was hysterical, uh, but I wasn't the one who did it. And my name was now associated in this. So now you can imagine what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, why, why am I being drugged through the fire for something I didn't do? I've tried to act the way a good Christian guy should act. I've tried to do the right things. And here I am being drugged through the mud. And that pain set did not sit well in my heart. I, I promised I would not go back to that church. I was done with it. And I, I think some other people around me felt the same way. Now, I will tell you, about a few days later, I got a text from a friend telling me, hey, it was me that changed the sign. Wasn't that hilarious? And I did laugh. I mean, I laughed. His name was Trip, right? And, and he, what he did was a trip. <laughs> That's what I thought about it. Um, but here's the truth. I ended up going back to a different church. I was reintroduced to the love of God. I'd never seen the love of God from this particular pastor or, or in the way that this particular pastor painted it. And I was so convicted by me laughing at that that I went back to my former pastor's house, knocked on his door, and in his driveway said, man, I just want to ask you to forgive me. I don't want anything to be between you and I. And at the end of the day, I feel convicted because I laughed when, when a friend changed the church sign. I, I, I see what that could have done to the church. I see what that could have done to the kingdom. And I sincerely want uh, to seek forgiveness. And I always share this story with you. Because through that season of my life, it was only the grace of God that allowed me to step back into a local church. And as a follower of Jesus, I was fairly consistent with following my daily devotions. But I was weary and I was exhausted of the imperfections of the body of Christ. And maybe you have been there. Maybe you are there. This is not uncommon for people to be weary and exhausted of the imperfections or the hypocrisy of the church. So maybe you're here, you've been wounded by church people. Maybe there are times in your life where the actions and the attitudes of church people were hard to bear. Maybe a pastor's disappointed you or a church member has hurt you and you've decided for you that you're going to quit the church. Listen to me, church family. Something is terribly wrong when professing Christians do not identify with the church and love being a part of her. It is a dangerous place to be in life when you as a child of God lose your love and your appreciation for the body of Christ. That is a, that is a very dangerous place for us to be. I love how Eugene uh, Peterson says it. He says this, There's nobody who doesn't have problems with the church because there's sin in the church. But there's no other place to be a Christian except the church. And even though there's imperfections all over the body of Christ, we still need the body of Christ to look more and more like him. In fact, I would argue that there's no way to live out the life of a Christian as described in the Bible except being a part of a local church community. So we must ask God to show us the potential and the promise within the church if we're going to love it the way that we should love it. 
And that's what I want to do today. I want to help you see that the bride of Christ, no no matter how messy she may be, she has so much potential and she has so much empowerment and she could be the most beautiful and most attractive thing on the planet if the people of God would just get it. If you and I, the people of God, would just get it. So the question on the table today is what is keeping you, what is keeping me from loving the church? There's four things I believe that's keeping us from loving the church. The first one is this. We're disappointed. We're disappointed. Our disappointments keep us from loving God's people. I mean, if you're honest, you first came to church and you thought everything was good. The people were nice. The classes were good. You enjoyed coming. Someone invited you and you were elated that you found new friends and new community and everything was good, but somewhere along the way you discovered that things were not as good as you hoped that they would be. And if you're honest with yourself, the fact that you found that out led you to a season of disappointment. It was a major letdown to you that the church had imperfections. And it was a major letdown to you that church leadership, and not only church leadership, but church membership that these people are human and that they will fail you. Here's what I want you to hear. Our spiritual letdowns will lead to our spiritual meltdowns if we're not careful. When someone lets you down, church leadership or a member in the congregation, or maybe someone said something and you didn't know how to take it, whatever the case may be, when that happens, it can and it will lead to a spiritual meltdown and for some of you this describes you to a perfect t you came to christ and you were so excited about the church and these new relationships you were all in with the church you jumped into service you jumped into life group you jumped into regularly gathering with god's people you were here every single day probably more than you should have been but something has happened that's caused you to retreat something has happened that's caused you to take steps backwards Maybe you question the character of a church leader. Maybe a church leader didn't meet your expectations. Maybe someone in the church sinned against you, and when they sinned against you, it hurt you like crazy. Maybe you were looking for community, and you were looking for relationships, but quite frankly, all you found was isolation, and all you found was being further and further alone. If you come in today with church hurt, If you come in today and you are wounded by the local church, maybe it's a leader, maybe it's a member, whatever the case may be, there's two things I think that can help you, okay? Two things I want to give you real quick that I think can help you. The first one is this, let it go. Let it go. You you know the Frozen song? She says, conceal, don't feel. Some of you, that's what you want to do. You want to try to conceal things and not feel things. Just let it go. Think, Think about this. Seek to forgive the one who has hurt you is what I mean by letting it go. Not only that, but seek to be forgiven by the one that you've hurt. Just let it go. It's not worth ruining your entire spiritual life by holding on to something that's paining you. The second, not only do I want to encourage you to let it go, but secondly, I want to share this with you. Re-envision how valuable the church is to God. For some of you, you have lost sight of how valuable the church is to God. I want to challenge you. Re-envision 
how valuable the church is to God. When something disappoints us or when someone disappoints us, our emotional response to that thing or that person is to distance ourselves. It's just a, a natural human emotional response. And some of you have done that. You've been disappointed. You've been hurt by a thing or a person. And in the process of doing that, you've chose to distance yourself from it. But not only do we distance ourselves from it, we also begin to devalue it. We devalue it. And my encouragement to you today is to fall in love with the church all over again. Move toward what the church could be and should be if she functioned the way that God intended her to function. See, if we are truly to love God, then we must love his church. You, you cannot say that you love God and simultaneously say that I do not like or love his church. That would be like you coming to me and saying, Trey, I really like you. You're a great guy, but I can't stand your wife. At that very instant, you have a problem with me as well. You follow me? Because we're not two separate people. We are one flesh, and we take that seriously. And as the body of Christ, the same is true. You can't say, I love you, God, as my groom, but I can't stand your bride. At that very point, you have an issue with God that, that needs to be resolved. You see, this, there are many metaphors in Scripture that talk about Jesus' love and appreciation for his church. And I think I want to walk you through four of those real quick this morning. And I think that by walking through four of these metaphors, what you're going to see is, man, Jesus really does love the church people. The first metaphor that God uses is he says that the church is called the people of God. The church is called the people of God. Do you know who calls the church the people of God? God does. God refers to us as his people. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. This is quoting Leviticus chapter 26, verse 12, and Exodus chapter 29, verse 45. It says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, and God said, I will, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God. And listen, and they shall be my people. 1 Peter chapter 2 Verses 9 through 10, but you are a chosen race, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Jump over to verse 10. Once you were not a people, but watch, but now you are God's people. You're probably wondering, why does this even matter? Why does it matter that God refers to us, the church, as his people. It's because God's not embarrassed. It's because God's not afraid to be associated with us as the church. And that means no matter how messy or how dysfunctional we might be, God is still not afraid to associate himself with us. That is very good news. Why? You ever been around someone who's just acting a complete fool, but they call themselves a Christian? What's your instinct? I'm not with that person. That's how we are. We go out somewhere and someone starts acting a fool, maybe for Jesus or anti-gospel, right? And what we do is we disassociate ourselves from them. We feel a little bit weird. We get a little bit embarrassed. We get a little bit afraid. But God doesn't do that with his church. God says no matter how messy you are and how dysfunctional you are, you are my people. I love you. I will be your God and you will always be my people. There's a second metaphor that God uses. Not only does he say that we're the people of God, but he also says we're called the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. It says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. 
And then it says this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. What does this communicate to us? That you and I as the church are the body of Christ. It, it communicates that Christ identifies fully as one with the church. He's the head. We are the body. There's no way, well there is a way, but there's, there's no way to separate that. They work together. He doesn't say you can have me and the church is optional. He doesn't say, hey, you can come and know me and follow me, but church is secondary, tertiary, or somewhere way down the list of priorities. He doesn't say that. No, to belong to Jesus is to belong to his church. See, we have to understand this. You can go to church and never belong to it, but you can't belong to the church and never go to it. And Jesus, not one time in scripture, says, I want to make sure that you know as a child of God to go to church. No, instead he encourages us to belong to the body. I love what Jesus says to Paul in Acts chapter 9. If you want to flip over there, you can real quick. This is a quick little verse. In Acts chapter 9, if you remember the story, Paul is young. I might say that Paul is arrogant. Um, not only is he that, but he's a Pharisee. He's going around. He's preaching the law. And if you remember what Paul's doing, he's persecuting people, right? He's going to churches, and he's persecuting the church, and he's really trying to kill Christians and doing, doing all, all these shenanigans, right? And he's walking through Damascus. He's persecuting the church. And listen to what Jesus says in Acts chapter 9, verse 4. It says, And falling to the ground, this is Paul, he heard a voice saying to him, watch, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The question on the table is who was Saul formerly known, Paul's later name, who was he persecuting? He was persecuting the church. So the question then becomes is, who exactly is Paul persecuting? Is it the church or is it Jesus? Well, it's both. Why? Because they're inseparable. He is the head and the church is the body. Here's the beauty of this. He doesn't separate himself from us. If you feel distant, it's only because you have separated yourself from him. So he says, you're the body of Christ, and he loves you as a part of that body. The third way that he gives us a metaphor for is he says the church is called the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. We talked about this one in our text of Ephesians chapter 5. It's also mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 2. It's mentioned later in Revelation chapter 19. We're actually going to read that in a moment. But I love how the Bible presents the church as the bride and how God reveals himself to her as the loving, faithful bridegroom. That's what's going on here. We are the bride of Christ. You know what that means. Like, think about this. Think about your wedding day. Jesse just talked about that just a moment ago. Here you are on your wedding day as a guy. You're the groom. You're waiting to see your bride. And then the first moment you lay eyes on her, I mean, she is radiating in beauty. Her hair's all dolled up. Her face is fixed. Just joking. But she, she's put on makeup. She's got... Her hair dolled up. She's in this beautiful white dress. I mean, she's just gleaming like she's just beaming with light and glory. And you're just in awe of how beautiful she is. Like, church, you've got to understand, this is the bride of Christ. This is what Jesus sees when he sees us. Listen, it doesn't say the wife of Christ here. It doesn't say, hey, oversized T-shirt, sweatpants, and a messy hair bun. It doesn't say that. It says the bride 
of Christ. Like you are seeing, just like Jesus is seeing here, the beauty, her dressed up, her glowing, her radiating in joy. It's the bride, and he says, look at her. Look at, look at Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 through 8. It's going to be on the screen. The Bible tells us there's going to be this great wedding feast. And at this great wedding feast, there's going to be a groom, and there's going to be a bride. We're the bride, the church. Revelation 19, 7, it says this, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. Yes, that's what we do. And it says, For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and watch, and his bride has made herself ready. This is what Jesus will see. We're going to be present to Jesus on that, or presented to Jesus on that day, and he's going to say, wow, look at her. Isn't she beautiful? I don't see one imperfection, one mess in this bride. She is so beautiful. It's as if he lays his eyes on us for the very first time. What does this show us? It shows us when he calls us the bride of Christ, the deep love that Christ has for us. It shows us that he overlooks all of our imperfections and he purifies us and he gushes over our beauty. That's what Jesus does with us, the church. He says we're called the bride of Christ and the fourth is he calls us the temple of the Holy Spirit. The temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. He says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? You've heard it said, I've said it before, the church is not a building. Well, in some sorts, in some cases it is. <laughs> You're the building. You are what embodies this. It's true. The church is a kind of building too. It's a spiritual building, a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And this tells us God isn't afraid to inhabit his people. God isn't afraid to inhabit his church. He goes all in with his people and he says to them, I will be with them. And not only does he say that he's going to be with us as the church, but he says he's going to empower us as the church. And he says that they are mine. See, Jesus probably has more reason than any of us to be hurt by the church. It's true. In fact, Jesus has more reason than any of us to leave the church. But what does Jesus do? Instead of leaving, instead of disassociating himself? No, he actually moves closer to his church. He left heaven where everything was perfect and spotless and completely pure. Came to this sin-infested world and lived the life that we were supposed to live, but since we couldn't, he then went and died the death that was ours to die. And I know what you're thinking. Some of you are thinking this in this congregation today. Well, I don't have to be a part of the local church as long as I'm a part of the universal church, the invisible church as they call it. I want you to hear a quote that I found that I thought was beautiful in this. It says, although we try to draw a distinction between the universal church and the local church, the Bible draws no distinction between the two. It's impossible to be a part of one and not be a part of another. It's impossible for you and I to say that we're part of the universal church, but yet we don't belong to a local church. And it's impossible for us to say that we are part of the local church as born-again saints of the living God, but we're not part of the universal church. They go Again, together, there's no distinction. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. This is the last time Paul is going to spend any time with the leaders of the church of Ephesus. So he leaves them with some advice, and he's telling these leaders, if you want to know how to lead your church well, if you want to pastor your church well, here's the advice that I'm going to give you. This is what he says. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock 
in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church. That word is local church, the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Christ purchased the local church with his own blood. You better believe the church has value. You better believe the church is important to him. Eagles Landing, Jesus purchased this local church with his own blood. We belong to him. He belongs to us. See, church, the church is so precious to Jesus, but far too often, the church is not precious to us. We've got to see the church through the lens that Jesus sees it. Some of us were disappointed. We've distanced ourselves, we've disassociated ourselves from the local church because we've just faced disappointment and we felt like that was the best way of dealing with it. There's a second thing, and I'm going to run through these quickly. The second is we're distracted. We're distracted. You were focused on the church at one time, but somehow you've got distracted. You were committed, but somehow the regular rhythms of your life have pulled you away from the body of Christ. I want to give you a few common things that I hear personally that keep men and women in this church distracted from loving the church the way that God intended. One, people might say, my life is nuts. It's just really, really busy. And usually what they'll dive into is they've got new habits or their kids are now engaged in sport. And because of those things, they've all of a sudden been distracted and they've been pulled away from the church. I've heard people say, I'll be more committed when I have kids. And when they have kids, guess what happens? Their kids bring in their hobbies of their own and busier schedules, and then they can't be committed then. So guess what they say then? Well, I'll be committed when my kids are out of the house. And when the kids leave the house, they meet somebody, and they get married, and then they have kids. Well, I'll just be more committed when I have grandkids. And then you get so caught up with your grandkids that you don't have time to go to church either. And what happens is you just keep burying it and burying it and burying it, and you're getting distracted by more and more things. Listen, distraction from the faith leads to destruction of the faith. If you allow things of the world to keep pulling you away from the body of Christ, it will lead to your own spiritual decay and destruction. And most of us were here and we would say, well, we enjoy the church. Our plates are just so full that we don't always have time to attend. I mean, we go and we go and we go throughout the week. We have homework and we have school and we have work and we have dinner and we have hobbies and then we cram as much stuff as we can into the weekend and it's as, it's as if we're saying listen the church is just disrupting our lives I mean we try to make time we want to be there but it's really just disrupting the normal rhythms of our lives listen friends the problem is not that the church is too disruptive. The problem is that the gospel is not disruptive enough to our South Atlanta lives that it begins to reorient our lives so that we can make priority Christ and his people. That's what the problem is. The problem is that the gospel of Jesus has not made a big enough splash in our individual souls that it's changed the way that we think about God and his people. And we've got to start seeing things the way that God sees it. In Acts chapter 2, you've heard the story. We talk about this all the time. It's a mega church. I mean, it is. It's a mega church. They went from 120 people to 3,120 people in less than 24 hours. It is a mega church. And I love this church because they arrive at this end without absolutely no social media, no website, no billboard signs, no yard signs that their members were putting in their front yard. They had none of that. They had no website, no staff, no budget. But what did this church have? I mean, what did they have? 
They had 3,000 additional misfits of the gospel. I mean, that's what they had. Messy lives that just jumped in overnight. And I find this to be so interesting about Acts chapter 2. These new believers, they didn't travel through a new membership class. They didn't sign a covenant together. I'm not saying those things are important. They are. But they didn't do any of that together. But yet, even without any of that, no discover, this is what they did. It says in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves. You, you don't see them say, well, we had to fit church within our schedules. We had to sh shuffle some things around so that we can make the local church important. No, it says they devoted themselves. In verse 44, it says they were together, and they were together a lot. In verse 46, it says day by day, they attended the temple together. They were at the church, and they broke bread with each other in each other's homes. Like they loved each other, and they spent an awful lot of time with each other. And then as a result of that, the Bible says that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. See, the gospel completely and radically disrupted their lives. It reoriented everything they thought about life. And overnight, where they used to be busy with everything else, now all of a sudden they were busy with the people of God, doing the work of God for the glory of God. We get distracted. The third thing that keeps us from loving the church is we're disconnected. This is probably the one that I hear most here. I hear this here. In fact, probably most places I've been, I've, I've heard this, either as a member or as a pastor. People struggle to get connected. Perhaps the most common reason people don't stick around in the local church is their inability to connect. And I can assure you that we at Eagles Landing have done everything we know to do. We've put a Next Steps area out there helping you get better connected. we put a prayer team down here that's, help, that's trained to help you get better connected. Every greeter is more than a greeter. They're actually a connector trying to help you get better connected. Um, we've put a website in place. and We've put QR codes in place. we put URLs in place. We've done everything that we could to help you get connected. And it pains me when people here or anywhere say, I just cannot connect to the church. Listen. The key is not to stand on the sideline and spectate. The key for you is to engage. And although we're doing everything we can to help you connect, really, it's not just on us. It's also on you. The key for you is to press deeper into community and participate in the work of the church. And typically, relationships will begin to bloom where you're planted. You get in a life group. And over the course of a few weeks, you start to develop relationships. You start serving on a service team, and over the course of a few weeks, you start to develop relationships. Now, let's go back to Acts chapter 2. Here's what I find interesting. In Acts chapter 2, it says, they devoted themselves. Isn't that interesting language? They threw themselves into fellowship. They threw themselves into community. They threw themselves as believers into the body of Christ. Why is that important? Like, why is it important that you and I would be connected to the body of Christ? I want to show you this one. Go over to Hebrews chapter 10. As we start to close, go to Hebrews chapter 10. And I want you to see this. The writer of Hebrews, he, he's writing to a people that are in crisis, okay? You need to understand that. They're, they're giving up on the church. They're growing weary. They're exhausted with the church. They're being persecuted for their faith. In fact, they want to quit. If you remember what the Hebrews are going through, they knew that Jesus said, hey, I'm going to come back soon. But the people of Hebrews are basically saying, well, Jesus soon doesn't mean soon enough because we, we're tired of waiting for you to come back. That's what's going on here. And then this is what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. It says, let us hold fast. That means let us not quit the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. 
And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is a powerful picture of community. If you're going to hold fast, if you're going to not quit, if you're going to persevere, you will need the help of other people. You will need to meet with them regularly, and they will need to encourage you and spur you on, and you encourage them and spur them on. You'll need to do this with each other, and that happens within the context of community, the local church. Jesse told you today that we have group connect right after church. You can go over there if you're not connected, and you can devote yourself. You can take the first step of getting better connected. We have volunteer appreciation, or volunteer... um, I don't even remember what the class is called, but it's something. Uh, volunteer, Matt, yell it. Tell me. Give Orientation. Thank you, Ashley. Volunteer orientation coming up. Another way that you can connect to the life of Christ. So we get disconnected, and the final one is we get discouraged. We get discouraged. Matthew chapter 16, verses 17 through 18. Peter, who you know, he stuck his foot in his mouth a lot, didn't he? Um, I tell myself all the time, and I tell people all the time, I remind, I remind myself more of Peter than any other character in the Bible. Like this dude just couldn't control the tongue sometimes. He stuck his foot in his mouth. But here he makes a profound declaration. He says to Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, blessed are you. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Maybe you walked in today and you are just flat out discouraged. I mean, everywhere you look, you see that our country, you see that our community, you see that our world is on a significant moral decline. And you feel like hell is winning by the minutes. And that discourages you. You're tired, you're weary, you're exhausted. You're no longer in love with the church. Listen, church, the biggest threat to hell is a church that wakes up. That's the biggest threat to hell, is a community of baptized believers who wake up. If Satan can keep you asleep, oh surely he will gain ground. But if the gospel awakens our soul and we fall deeply in love with Jesus and we lock arms with his people and we begin to go on mission to make his name known, oh how all of hell already knows how that will end. And church, that's what we wanna be. We want to be a people that make the people of McDonough and Henry County, we want to make it hard for them to ever go to hell because we're here and we exist. And we take our missional mandate that's given to us by Jesus himself very, very seriously. H.B. Charles said this, nothing grows a Christian like a serious commitment to a single church week in and week out for years and years. Not conferences, not social media, not even personal devotions. The local church is where mature Christians are slowly forged in the fires of mundane faithfulness. My plea with you today is if you came in here and you feel yourself not loving the people of God, you feel yourself not loving the church of God, you feel like you've disconnected or maybe even disassociated yourselves from them, maybe it's because of some pain that's been inflicted upon you and we certainly don't want to Oh, you know, under, undervalue that or, or treat that casually. We, we understand that pain is real and sometimes church hurt is real. I get it. I've been there. But what you need to see is that when Jesus looks at the church, he doesn't see the same things you do. 
because he bought the church with his own blood. And because he bought it, there is significant worth and significant value in his people. And he holds them dear to his heart. And the thing that he calls you to do and he calls me to do is to be willing to push away our pride. And if there is someone who has hurt us, to go and seek forgiveness or to forgive. He says that clearly. If there's something that's keeping you from the church, go settle it or let it go. My challenge to you today is to ask yourself, what is keeping you from being all in with his people? What is keeping you from loving the church the way that he intended? Listen to me, church. When you and I push all of that stuff to the side and we focus on who Jesus is and who we're supposed to be in light of who he is and we lock arms together and we leave these doors back into our community and we become and we are literally the ambassadors of Christ carrying his good news to a lost and broken world, man, what would happen? What would happen? Our whole city would turn upside down because we're, there's enough of us in this room that can make a significant impact. If only we would free ourselves from the things that are keeping us from loving the, the people of God the way that he does.